Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We've used science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you, and you too. It's been so long, I think we forgot how to podcast. <laughs> Seriously, that was... <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. That was a, a bumpy road. <laughs> it was a bumpy on road. We, we made ends. it though. Yeah, uh, <laughs> bumpy road, just like um, the other day. Just like the other day, <laughs> yes. when I had this handyman over uh, fixing a hole in our ceiling. That uh, when I was up in the attic, I stepped through the floor, which no, oh, no, uh, that was terrible. Um, <clears throat> but. Uh, while he, uh, he was working, he he wanted to know if I wanted to smoke weed with him, and oh, wow. I, I'm like, you know, I'm not really into high maintenance people. <laughs> <laughs> that was well worth the wait. Yay. I think. <laughs> Wow. So how are you, Mark? Oh it goodness. has been a while, uh, been a while since we've been able to sit down together. It, it um, We did a Portland at the Movies that, that you weren't able to make where we called our oh. friend Brian Turner, who filled in for us. And he was great and did an awesome job. And that episode is wonderful. And then last week on the Mark and Todd cast, we had our friend Nate Heath from Not Nerd uh step in and and i've realized over the weeks it takes a lot of men to fill mark middleton's <laughs> shoes <laughs> indeed oh uh, wow so but yes welcome back so tell me we haven't really talked about your your little vacation yeah so we've had basically like four months of just straight up balls to the wall you know uh slammed development projects at work and we've been working long hours and uh and uh my uh so my husband nick was getting a little fearful of my well-being and so he talked <laughs> to my business partner is like hey you need to talk to him I'm like what's going on and uh so my business partner came over and was like hey so so what's up <laughs> and uh had a little intervention with how many hours i'd worked and and everything and uh and so we took a break and for a week we went to kind of a isolated place uh at the outskirts of palm springs and uh nick got to lay out in the sun a lot and i got to read books and play games and uh, not do much at all. And it was amazing. So uh, weather down there was great. And we literally came within fewer human contact <laughs> points than we would have had we stayed here in Portland. So yeah, you the last the last I heard from you was when you first you just had walked in the door to a palatial, a palatial room, many roomed hotel suite. Yeah, so it it's this it's a mid century modern resort that was closed for four months for COVID, and so they've restructured everything organizationally. They only have twenty five percent capacity, and their rates are rock bottom, and and so for. Uh, like one third of the normal price of the room, we got a um, a resort room that was uh, a single bedroom with a breakfast nook and a full kitchen that is literally uh, 50 feet smaller, 50 square feet smaller than our house and <laughs> with a bigger patio. And uh, it had a barbecue, and we we're about a hundred feet from the pool. And if anybody was the pool, we just didn't go to the pool. And then if the pool was empty, we could go to the pool. 
And uh, so we just stayed away from humans. And we literally had, a, you know, a two-minute interaction with the desk clerk between plexiglass, with plexiglass between us at the beginning of the trip. And we never talked to anyone else the entire trip. There was no maid service or, or anything like that. So we, we were just by ourselves at this place. It was amazing. Wow. An incredible place. That's so cool. What yeah. an interesting experience, too, to to just have. Like, oh, I remember when we did that during COVID and we went. That's 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 really neat. Yeah. And uh, we also did some driving. We we drove around uh, the Salton Sea, which I hadn't been to since I was a kid and just explored some art installations out there and, and everything. But again, we uh save going to a gas station and pumping my gas and then wiping my hands with you know hand sanitizer yeah we didn't have contact with anybody and yeah yeah, that's great it was it was great yeah Um, very neat well welcome welcome back the one thing i didn't uh the one thing i've been doing for the past oh maybe four or five months. So uh, I work with Colin, who is an, uh, uh, this autistic boy, and I work in, uh, in his house, and he has, there's a total of five kids in that house. So he has four brothers um, in between the age of 13. Uh, Colin is 16, and then his oldest brother is uh, going to turn 20 in a couple weeks. So there's uh, kind of a spacing in between all of the, uh, the four boys of the house. So it's been – and I've been working with them for 12 years now, and so it's been neat to – show them all like all the boys when they hit a certain age you know now it's time for us to watch this movie or to you know now that you're old enough or i want to share this with you and so i've gotten to do that with each of the boys like with the matrix and like die hard we're gonna watch now because the youngest is like 13 and a half i'm like oh that's perfect and so what i've done and this is the last time that i'll that i'll do it because it was with liam who is the youngest who's uh 13 is for the past couple months on Saturday, we would watch two episodes of Freaks and Geeks. Oh, nice. Which still holds up. I mean, that show is just so good. And, you know, the premise of it is that it's a it's a high school in 1980 and there's like a group of freshmen and like that are geeks. And then there's this other group that are kind of burnout called, you know, the freaks and stuff like that. But like as a show and there's only 18 episodes because, of course, it's an amazing show. So nobody watched it. and It was canceled after a year. The show like the way that they develop each of these characters. So like and the and like so the burnouts, you know, you learn their backstory and like they're full characters and they're not just like nobody's just a trope or a stereotype. And and the if if, if and it's, I don't know how hard it is to track down. I know that it's not probably not on streaming anywhere because it's one of those shows like the wonder years or like WKRP in Cincinnati where it's all <laughs> licensed music of the time. And so to relicense that and like it was put out on DVD. So that's the copy I have. Um, but other than that, it, 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 you can probably, I imagine you can rent it. I didn't, I didn't look it up, but if you haven't seen it and it had the cast alone, it has Seth Rogen and James um, Franco, James Franco and Linda Cardellini and like everyone in there like is still working today and super like just regard and and it's so hard to describe how great that show is but we just finished the last episode yesterday and it's just so heartbreaking because they didn't know they were going to get canceled so they (sighs) didn't super wrap things up It, it ends with you know one of the characters kind of going off to do something for the summer it takes place over the school year or whatever and then you just don't know like oh well what happened to her what happened to the rest of these people you know how and i was talking to liam who was like oh you know i'm so bummed there's no more of that because it's so good And i'm like it is kind of like life how like these people are just a part of your existence and then like the next day like you transfer schools or like they're gone or like you get a new job or something like that and they kind of float away but you have this <clears throat> magical moment where everything right. was so we we were having a conversation about that Nick and I were um recently because I've got multiple pockets of friends yeah and Nick doesn't like he oh, grew up here and has mostly always lived here 
with the exception of when we were together and he moved somewhere else. So now we have a pocket of friends in Italy and in Los Angeles. And uh, he's like, oh, I, I see because he's always been kind of <coughs> confused or uh, didn't really understand like why I have uh, uh, friends in Vista, California and friends in Seattle and friends in, uh, you know, in, in Orlando. Yeah. And and I'm like, well, those are the places that I lived for a period of time. And um, yeah, and we moved around a lot as a, uh, when I was a child. And, and so I've got these little pockets of memories uh, and places that we'll visit and, and everything. And uh, yeah, so just like, yeah, just so that's a really good analogy with freaks and geeks of like, yeah, this is a little pocket of nostalgia and, and uh, yeah, I mean, and it's just, uh, I, 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 I won't go on and on and on about that show because it's tedious and I, I don't even know how many people have seen it. But if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this right now and you have not seen Freaks and Geeks, please reach out to me and I will lend you my my uh, DVD copy uh, via the Internet. And I mean, it is it it is an almost perfect show. It's an hour long, you know, dramedy, I guess they would call it these days, just about this a year in high school with these. And like the to the, the extent that. I am just like the geeky little boys is so strong <laughs> that I remember I remember I was watching uh, in the early 2000s and I don't know if it was when the show was on or if I was rewatching it. But um, my wife was out at some meeting or whatever in the evening. And so I'm like, oh, I'll watch this episode. And I'm la and I got myself a little something to eat and a glass of milk and all that. And I'm watching and I'm laughing. And then there's a scene that comes up in the episode I was watching with uh, a character named Bill Haverchuk, which is like this super gigantic, geeky, awkward, like just uh, just a nerd. And the scene is him watching TV by himself with a little thing with a little snack and a glass of milk. He was drinking out of the same Empire Strikes Back glass that I was literally drinking out of at the time <laughs> that I was watching him watch something oh on gosh. TV. But it was so funny. But yeah, oh, just an amazing show. So if you have not seen it, please get a hold of me and I will I will get you, we get you a copy. We watched Tenet the other night. Have, did you? We did. Is it good? It's mind numbing crazy weird uh it's, so is it like very inception like where it's yeah, yes. playing with time and playing playing with time and timelines um because you have characters that move uh in our timeline from forward uh you know <laughs> you know uh, in one direction and you have other characters that are moving through time backwards to us uh and so okay. they are in where did you the, where did you even watch it the stolen oh. <laughs> okay. well i only asked because i was your uh, fbi this is, <laughs> this is for satirical purposes only <laughs> yes for someone legally distinct <laughs> from you may have no i the only reason i asked is because i it was it's one of the i mean this whole move this whole year has been like just nonsensical as as far as like how movies are being distributed and so my, uh, Colin actually was asking about it because I think is Robert Pattinson in that yes okay so he is fixated on Robert Pattinson a little bit and so he this is his first major studio role yeah since did you see the lighthouse I I didn't but Nick did he loved it uh, but yeah I've seen a bunch of other things uh, you know he's been in a bunch of indie roles between Twilight and Twilight. This. Well, he was he was really able to do the kind of the same thing that um oh what's his name the Harry Potter actor why oh, am I yeah. blanking exactly. on his name where they are rich as crap and so they can do whatever they want and both of them seem to be fairly interesting artistic people and yeah. so thankfully we're able to I mean even Kristen Stewart to a to a point um. But yeah, but I but I couldn't figure out if Tenet was out on video yet or if he was because I know Christopher Nolan is super pissed about that. Um, 
the announcement that Warner Brothers is just going to release everything onto HBO Max this coming year as right. it comes out in the theater. Because he's one of those, my movies need to be seen in a theater and that's it. So I wasn't sure if it had started streaming yet, Tenet, or if it was um, you, where we you could watch can, it. So. You can buy it for 20 bucks on Vimeo, I think. Okay, uh, okay. So, yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure how they were doing that. So yeah. interesting. I'll have Daniel to check Radcliffe. that out when it becomes legally available for me to then pirate. Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> Dan, there there yeah. we go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into some news here that I've been saving up this last week. Breaking news for Olympics in 2024. Ah, 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 ah. breaking. And that is uh, and that is that break dancing has been confirmed as a new sport for the Paris Games. So it's confirmed by the International Olympic Committee, who I believe after FIFA is probably the worst organization on earth. But uh, that's beside the point. So they announced they're trying to seek a younger audience. So other newly added sports, including skateboarding, which I think is pretty cool. Sport climbing. So that must be like the free climbing rock wall type, you know, co uh, competitions uh, and surfing, all of which will be uh, will be. Mm will debut at the delayed Olympics in Tokyo in 2021, which I wonder if they will be de delaying that even more or right. if they're just going to say like, look, your country is a nightmare. You don't get to come this year. Everybody right. else can come. So the idea pro was proposed two years ago uh, and blah, blah, blah. In 2024, the dance-offs will take place at a downtown venue in the French capital alongside the sports climbing and three versus three basketball. Oh, interesting. So anyway, that would be a little interesting to watch the it's kind of like when they introduce the rhythmic gymnast gymnastics where you can suddenly dance around with a ball and a ribbon. And that was in the Olympics all of a sudden. Uh, well, we have there's a uh, Astoria, Oregon is very known for having the Goonies house, which has been causing kind of headaches ever since social media kind of uh, exposed to a greater a greater number of people where that place was. But now that might be happening to the short circuit house because the, a short circuit super fan uh, bought the house a year ago, quit his job with the railroad and dedicated himself to building out uh, a homestay lodging action figure museum and full recreation of the set. So his name is Richard Bates. He visited Astoria every several years or so checking up on the house. He stopped by during the 33rd anniversary and um, noticed the house was empty and decided he needed to be the property's caretaker. So using conceptual photos and production illustrator from production illustrator Jack Johnson, he's been recreating the farm style house. So he's also been collecting vintage action figures since he was a child. Made national news five years ago when his pricey collection of Star Wars memorabilia was stolen. Police in a local retail shop helped return most of his collection, which he plans to put on display for his guests. So um, Astoria has a checkered history with tourists flocking to famous filming locations, namely the Goonies house. So owner Sandy Preston threw tarps over the facade five years ago. Man, that's been a long time now. Claiming that some of the tourists were causing issues with theft, littering, vandalism, and gridlock in the quiet neighborhood. And so the Goon the um Short Circuit House guy says, I think at best I'd want like 20% of her crowd on a bad day, uh, but it's been really fun. I've had some visitors drive a thousand miles to come here. So we do have a tangential connection to this owner because I believe he is the boyfriend <laughs> of the, okay, the boyfriend of the daughter of the husband of one of my friends okay so from a previous marriage so <laughs> in that somewhere is, uh, so is my friend tangent. laura my friends laura and andy it's andy's daughter's boyfriend so uh so maybe portland at the movies could be getting a, a behind the scenes tour of the short oh, circuit fun. house at one of these days that would be fun um, yeah. Why don't you take this next one? It seems like it's kind of a little bit up your alley. Yeah, totally. Uh, so as as a child, I, I remember watching the right stuff. Um, yes, was that was the, what the first movie. movie I think that we, me and my brother and my neighbor were allowed to see by ourselves, I oh. think. Um, 1983. And so I remember 
Yeah, how old would you have been in 83? So I would have been eight, which is also the year Return of the Jedi came out. So that summer must have been big because I got to see two movies just with us kids. So I remember standing in line in like Pomona or Upland (laughs) or something like that outside of the movie theater waiting to see the right stuff. Yeah, so in uh, so Chuck Yeager, Air Force officer who broke the speed of sound, dies in 97. And I just remember that being such a hallmark moment in that movie uh, when he was in the X- X-1. Yeager became the first test pilot to break the sound barrier as he flew the experimental Bell XS-1, later the X-1, rocket plane over Muroc Dry Lake in California. Uh Jaeger nicknamed the plane the glamorous Glennis after his wife. Sure, I was apprehensive, he said in 1968. <laughs> when you're fooling around with something you don't know much about, there has to be apprehension, but you don't let that affect your job. So uh, he said in 1947 he could have gone even faster had the plane <laughs> carried more fuel. He said the ride was nice, just like riding fast in a car. Uh, Jaeger's feat was kept top secret for about a year when he, when the world thought that the British had broken the sound barrier first. It wasn't a matter of not having airplanes that would fly at speeds like this. It was a matter of keeping them from falling apart. It's so crazy. What really strikes me looking over those years is how lucky I was. How lucky, for example, to have been born in 1923 and not 1963, so that I came of age just as aviation itself was entering the modern era, he said in December 1985 speech at the Smithsonian. Yeah, I was I was a lucky kid who caught the right ride, he said. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, just one of those, you know, John Glenn and you know Neil Armstrong and Chuck Yeager, like just right up there with all the heroes that brought us uh, into this modern era of space and and flight and, and all yeah that stuff and i'm yeah. pretty sure that that x1 is at the smithsonian because i feel like i've seen it there but they, that that, right. i mean yeah they or have all that, the other the other air famous airplanes there so yeah. i'm assuming that that's part of them so yeah so yeah that leads directly into uh the spacex launch that handed uh that happened <laughs> this past week which so it, was I, incredible yeah yeah, kind you of both a success and a failure because the rocket crashed and exploded into a huge fireball after narrowly missing its landing pad. So the footage, if you haven't seen it, shows the unmanned Tets capsule blowing up as it smashed to the ground after soaring 40,000 feet. Um, the $260 million rocket is part of SpaceX CEO Elon Musk's vision to transport humans to Mars. Uh, earlier this week, Musk tweeted that he expected the Starship prototype SN8 to reach its target flight height and nothing much beyond that. So um, they made that height mark and also performed the belly flop maneuver and got it into position for landing. However, it gained too much speed and went out in explosive flames after about two minutes after the launch. Oh yeah, so when you guys, you had posted a link to this and I forget what I was doing at the time, but I wasn't able to watch it live um, but I watched the video afterwards and I did notice there there was kind of a, a camera inside, like above where the little rockets at the bottom are. Right. And you could see some of them cut out. And it says, yeah, about two minutes after launch, one of the Starship's three engines gave out. A minute later, the second engine cut up, but the prototype rocket continued its journey upward. And what I thought was interesting, even after two of those engines went out how it was still flying in a straight line like it didn't make the rockets like curl out of out of path so the uh the outside of the starship has fins to uh have control surfaces uh and it only went up to about forty thousand feet and so you still had some air to deal with and the Merlin engines, there's three Merlin engines at the bottom of the Starship, are incredibly vectorable, and they they are on gimbals that they are able to direct their thrust in uh, a pretty wide range, and and you could see that very prominently when the Starship was trying to land. It was horizontal, and then at one point. 
it uh, was kicked into the vertical position and you can see the vectoring of that thrust uh, going out like 20, 30 degrees from, uh, you know, from center line. And so it, it was really flowing at an angle. And so if you lose one engine, those other two engines are able to redirect their thrust to center. Uh, so even though the engines themselves are off center and no longer symmet- uh, symmetrical, their thrust could uh, be adjusted to keep the thrust symmetrical with the vehicle. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it <clears throat> lost its third engine about four, uh, four and a half minutes into the flight and the rocket moved into the horizontal position and poised back down. Yeah. So it falls most of the way down back to earth sideways and then it kicks itself. They call it the belly flop all of a sudden straight up and down again. Um, and it was just coming in too fast. And then it was a pretty cool explosion. It was, too. It it was, was very movie like. So when it's ready for production, the belly of the starship will have uh, hexagonal uh, uh, heat shields, just like the, uh, space shuttle had and the top of the vehicle will remain bare metal so it'll remain looking silver and the and the bottom will be black and so when it's coming to uh you know going we're flying it to mars and as it enters the atmosphere of mars it'll fly horizontally like you saw and land uh you know come in through the atmosphere similar to the space shuttle did Okay. Come in belly first, and then when it approaches the ground, it will do its little kick up and uh, land vertically, which is crazy. Man, that's so crazy. (laughs) Well, things are not going going as well for Sir Richard Branson over at Virgin Galactic. So they were forced to abort a key test flight of its space plane after an apparent issue with a rocket motor. So uh, Branson's space tour company has launched a plane up to 40,000 feet over New Mexico when it developed an issue and had to return to Earth. The firm con- the firm confirmed that the space plane, which is carrying test pilots C.J. St- Sturkow and Dave McKay, safely landed at its base. Um, so Virgin Galactic has signed up 600 customers who each agreed to pay $250,000 for a seat aboard the plane to ride up to 60 miles above Earth. And another 400 expressed an interest in booking tickets to the edge of space. So it was supposed to be the third test flight above the 50-mile mark, which the U.S. government considers to be space. So space is technically 50 miles up. Uh, The company, blah, 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 test flew. um, Mr. Branson 70 is expected to be one of the very first people to ride on the space plane when it goes into orbit. So they will be waiting a little bit longer to do that. Hmm. Anyway, Amazon, speaking of, uh, I guess we weren't, he's the only one who weren't. We spoke of the other two, Musk, uh, Richard Branson, and now Amazon. So this isn't super detailed, but I just thought it was interesting because I don't, um, if you're interested in more news like this, definitely check out Not Nerd because they keep up on this stuff uh, very, very uh, well. But this is uh, Amazon's new health band. And this this uh, site is saying it was the most invasive tech we've ever tested. And I just am not specifically calling Amazon out for this, but I just find a lot of this technology interesting. So late to the fitness tracker market dominated by the Apple Watch and Fitbit, um, Amazon's fabric covered halo has no screen, no sounds or vibrations and no design innovation. Uh, but it pushes into uncharted territory by collecting new, unabashedly invasive. This is obviously not a. This is obviously an opinion article when you're getting to words like unabashedly invasive. But um, kinds of personal information, including body photos and voice recording, and then feeding it to Amazon software for analysis. They're sort of aiming to for it to be kind of an AI doctor or life coach. So they tested two of these Halo bands, each one. Uh, one on each of our bodies, and I think it was a male and female, to see how well the AI could account for gender and other important human differences, particularly on the factors as complicated as fat composition and tone of voice. 
Um, spoilers, it described Jeffrey's tone with words like opinionated, while it was more likely to flag the tone of Heather, a mother of two, as dismissive or <laughs> condescending. <laughs> so uh, what I find what? interesting is that <laughs> I, I don't know, like, I... <laughs> Why are fitness vans like judging us on the way we speak and <laughs> right. and like why are our eyes and kid. ears not good enough for that? Like we have to feed all this stuff through through AI. It like I I struggle and I hmm. I'm sure down the line there's some application that this will be good for, like a doctor's visit or something like that, where right. they can test stress or whatever. But like it's so crazy that we're just strapping all of this on us and i i think this is this is one of those transition periods you know we we've talked a lot about ibm's watson uh in the past and it's a it's a huge ai brain of sorts and uh what we're seeing right now we're in this transition between early access to ai versus yeah, um, what we think will be in the future, which is just homogenous, uh, you know, uh, everything will be uh, available to us or, or whatever. The The specific application I'm, I'm trying to get to is uh, health science. And so Watson has been heralded at pretty fantastic at diagnosing health conditions because it's able to make uh, seemingly disparate connections. It's able to recognize those like a doctor at a doctor visit wouldn't be able to. And so, oh, you've got uh, this blood pressure, you know, and and this symptom and this symptom and this system symptom wouldn't come up easily in your textbook except in some obscure case. And so, like, Nick has... Uh, a recurring chronic uh, uh, issue that we are unable to diagnose. And basically the symptoms are he gets the symptom of being fully dehydrated when he's not dehydrated. And so all of the, if you go down the list of symptoms for dehydration, those are the, the symptoms that he experiences, you know, just uh, fatigue and, uh, and pain and muscle things and uh, you know, all the things, elevated heart rate and 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 all this stuff, and we're trying to correlate all of those symptoms to something that isn't just solely, um, classically dehydration. And right. you know, what is the, you know, is he allergic to something or is it something he's eating or is it something that right. you know? And and we just don't know. And so we're kind of waiting for. AI to catch up to our, uh, uh, you know, he's he's spent hundreds of hours with doctors and and trying to diagnose this seemingly undiagnosable thing, and we're waiting for AI to catch up to our lives so that we have access to something like Watson that has the ability to say, oh well, that's a lack of magnesium in your system and you need to do this and whatever. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and that, uh, that all does make sense, but like... But right now, it's held by in the hands of like five dudes that, <laughs> that are uber billionaires, and right. it's terrible. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, and last week uh, on the show with, with Nate, we talked a little bit about... Um, using those caps, for lack of a better word, to control things, just using your brain mm -hmm. and, and some of the video game developers trying to do that, too. And I'm like, we're just we're just like headed for the end of Wall-E where we're just in these <laughs> chambers without having to even move our thumbs <laughs> to play video games and like. And then the computer is just going to call us dismissive and condescending whenever we talk. I'm sorry, Dave. You sound a little dismissive or even condescending. <laughs> the nagging wife or husband of the future. Uh, uh, it's terrible. So this is fascinating. And, and it's not something that I've 
done a lot of research into or like was super was super into i saw the movie but the the zodiac killer code has been cracked by australian Indeed. mathematician samuel blake more than 50 years after the first murder so him samuel blake and two fellow cryptologists have officially been recognized by the fbi for solving um solving that case they worked on decoding the message known as the 340 cipher with two other cryptologists from the University of Melbourne and the supercomputer called the Sp speaking of AI supercomputer called the Spartan to eventually reveal its content. The correspondent killer sent letters to the newspaper over several years up until 1974, including proof that he was responsible for the deaths of at least five people in San Francisco. The official cracking of the 340-character cipher provides insight into the killer's thoughts and actions, but does not reveal a name as promised in separate letters sent to the newspaper. So, uh... Dr. Blake and these cryptologists uh, said during the year we tested by trial and error about 650,000 different reading directions through the cipher. The search turned up more or less nothing. However, one of these searches uncovered a surprising combination of words, gas chamber. From that fragment, we were able to rework the, the key and correct an error and corrected an error the Zodiac made in his Dian diagonal enumeration of the second vertical segment of the cipher so um he slipped a digit basically in one of the lines of the cipher accidentally and so he effectively misspelled the uh the completed cipher which wow makes... which broke his own cipher right Wow, that's I've never thought about like spelling errors <laughs> when it comes to secret codes and how that would really screw things up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I I watched the there was a little documentary that that uh, this uh, doctor uh, Doctor Blake put together of what their approach was and how they did it and and everything and and you know the cipher is all handwritten and um, the the zodiac killer apparently wasn't a good speller you know like he consistently spelled paradise wrong uh, uh ice at the end instead yeah. of I -C, which uh was ended up being a good thing he was consistent in that misspelling uh and so that kind of proved you know it showed consistency across because he refers to paradise several times because he's going to paradise after after death and and all of that and uh it's it's really fascinating there's there's like a five minute documentary online uh, Ooh, from Dr. Check Blake. i would totally check that out and, and watch it um the the methods that they took and and the process and these these three individuals are mathematicians and and one's like uh he installs sighting during the day and at night he's a <laughs> cipher dude and that's uh, so and, funny yeah. wow well really cool. the fauci effect which fauci. no one will call this fauci. except for this fauci what did i say fauci oh it's yeah. fauci. fauci oh here's something is it fauci well yeah <laughs> but is it kamala or kamala uh so what is the name of the punctuation point that looks looks like that? The comma. Comma, and then add la on the end. Comma. comma la. Yep. That's precisely how it's pronounced. Comma la. Well, that, well, that seems the less right out of all the options, <laughs> but all right. Comma la. <coughs> anyway. <laughs> Fa. Fauci, <laughs> Fauci. <laughs> uh, the, the Fauci effect is driving a record number of medical school applications. Officials say the record number um, is up 18% this year over last year. It's unprecedented, said Jeffrey Young, uh, the AAMC senior director, um, who compares it to another response to the traumatic moment, uh, to another traumatic moment in American history, the terrorist attack of September 11. Uh, after September 11, there was a huge increase in the number of men and women that were entering into the military, Young said. So far in my lifetime, at least, as far as far and for as long as I've been in medical education, that's the only comparison I could make. So Stanford reports a 50% jump or 11,000 applications for 90 seats. Now, wow. what Stanford? Yeah. Well, yeah, but why not a hundred? Like, are, is it 
the building that can't fit 90? Like where, why, why don't we just make more doctors then? Like if they're like, uh Oh, we're, we have a doctor shortage. Why don't we teach more than 90 at once? Well, <laughs> so Dr. Fauci said it's very flattering probably. And of course, because he's a great guy, he's a, it's probably a more realistic assessment than rather than after me, it's the effect of a physician who is trying and hopefully succeeding in having a more impactful, uh, important impact on an individual's health as well as global health. So if that works to get more young individuals into medical school, go ahead and use my name. Be my guest. So uh, anyway, he was um, represented on uh, Saturday Night Live last night. Uh, uh, one of the characters was was him and people from the audience throwing their bras uh, at, uh, at Fauci because <laughs> they love him so much. And uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty fantastic. So he never did get fired. Not technically. He's, he, I he's mean, he was ghosted. silenced and told to shut up. But, ghosted. Okay, but never. I'm I'm fascinating that he, that he was not ever fired. Right. Uh, anyway, so. And one more thing. There's not really a story here, but I saw come across my uh, Dead Portland Memories Facebook group. And that mm-hmm. is another, another tragic loss to the Portland community. And that is the Dancing Bear in what what district is that called um it's like uh, north kenton, portland uh, yeah uh, it's is that it's kenton, it's kenton yeah. yes kenton yeah. because that's yeah. where the bar the kenton club is that right. they that they filmed the raquel welch movie <laughs> that we went to that bar but kansas city play- bomber Kansas City Bomber, yes. Uh, I know the only reason I know the Dancing Bear is because I used to go to the Wells Fargo branch that is <laughs> exactly. directly right across, across the street. street. And I was always so fascinated that their logo, the illustrations on their signage appeared to have been done by a six year old. <laughs> a six year old just like drawing what he thought a bear maybe looked like and like it was so it was so elementary that it was so just fascinating to me. But yeah, apparently never, that has been there for a long, long time, and will will no longer continue will be to exist. Yeah, I haven't been in the Dancing Bear. I guess I never will. Well, I guess so. we've both lost, or maybe we have we have chance for one more remote Mark and Todd cast from <laughs> live from the the Dancing Bear. from the bear. Dancing Bear. Awesome. Anyway, um, that is all the news I had. Cool. Well, um, today I thought we'd talk about something. Um, it's it's kind of a little bit of science and a little bit of uh, someone who figured out the science. And Ooh, cool. uh, so I believe in the past, uh, maybe three or four years ago, we talked about GPS and how GPS works. And um, basically, we have multiple GPS satellites uh, at orbits o- around the Earth. And when you have your phone or your you know, GPS, GPS-enabled device, it has to lock into at least three GPS satellites. And, uh, and the only thing a GPS satellite does is it sends out a signal with a timestamp and its uh, location, basically, uh, uh, you know, which satellite it is and, and where it is. And so you are receiving a signal with multiple timestamps, you're able to then triangulate how far you are from, because your phone knows what time it is, it's able to measure the the difference between those three satellites and go, oh, based on uh, the length, because time is distance. Yeah. And so if I know the distance to three different points, then I know exactly where I am. And uh, that would be awesome if the world was a true sphere. But it's not. It's flat. It's Today on the Mark and Todd cast. How GPS accommodates. Mark destroys science with this one simple observation. (laughs) Yes, I've been watching uh, <laughs> a lot of YouTube lately. <laughs> and so, um, so it turns out that our planet is wait, not... wait, 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 wait. Is I I believe I know the shape of our planet, and it is an ob 
oblate spheroid? Indeed it is. Yes! <laughs> I knew something. Did, did I post that in the... Where, no, I, it's just one of those things that I've always just yeah, stuck in my is. head when nothing else does. It's an oblate, oblate spheroid. And what that means is instead of being a perfect sphere, it's... Uh, squashed at the top and bulges at the bottom, and we have an equatorial bulge is uh, literally what the uh, term is. <laughs> That's how I'm described. <laughs> I've, I've been told of my equatorial bulge many times. And so um, if you were standing, and basically the effect of that is the earth is squashed such that at the uh at the equator there's a if you drew a line straight through the equator that line is 27 miles longer than the line from the north to the south pole oh interesting okay so with that that means that if you are standing on the surface you're about half of that distance about 13 miles different distance so let's let's put it this way sea level at the equator is 13 miles different from sea level at the north pole huh <coughs> yeah because the earth bulges out and so sea level is just the average of the heights you know it's the distance oh, right okay right yeah I guess. and so sea level is 13 miles different from the the equator to the North Pole. So if you use GPS satellites and uh, you need to know where you are on the sphere, if you have a perfect sphere, that math is really easy. But with an oblate spheroid, that math becomes astronomically difficult in trying to know where you're at based on all those three points. And then <clears throat> that's your distance to sea level. And then any change from from that sea level point is your altitude. So GPS gives you the latitude, longitude, and altitude. So... It needs to know how far you are from that hypothetical, um, you know, uh, theoretical uh, uh, zero point of uh, of sea level at the equator or at the North Pole or anywhere in between. Right. Well, in comes Gladys West. So Gladys (laughs) West. Yay, Gladys. Um, she was um, uh, part of a family in in the 1930s. Uh, she her parents were uh, sharecroppers, and her fa- her her mom worked in the field, and her father worked at a factory part time, and uh, in the field the rest of the time. And and the way out was education so the school the high school that she went to gave two full ride scholarships to virginia state college which is now um virginia state university two full ride scholarships to the top two students in high school and so she buckled down and became valedictorian valedictorian what year what year is this in uh she graduated in 1948 from high school okay and so 1948 she graduated valedictorian from her high school and um she joined the um uh she went to college into virginia university and uh graduated with honors there and then went on to the uh, naval uh, laboratory for uh, dealing with uh, naval warfare uh, math and calculations. And she was one uh, at Virginia University. She was one of, no, 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 at, at the 
Navy. She was one of four black people in the facility. And uh, the other three, there was one other female and two other guys. Uh, she, wow. uh, incidentally, she, um, one of the other guys she fell in love with and they became married and uh, lived happily ever after. Oh, cute. Uh, <clears throat> totally. So while she was at the Naval Warfare Complex, she was part of a computer programming uh, infrastructure and she developed the math to calculate the position that of the obloid spheroid specifically related to the earth <laughs> and her math went into the development of gps wow <clears throat> and so she's still alive today she's uh I think oh, wow. 80, 86 years old and um uh, I don't have that that number, uh, right, but right, right. she's still around, and uh, she's inducted into a uh, the Naval uh, Maritime uh, uh, Hall of Fame as a technology developer and and all of that, and um, and so I don't uh, don't have a whole lot. She yeah seemed really cool, and yeah. the 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 combination of like crazy concepts and uh like just fastidiously working through and 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 doing the math resulted in a technology that has transformed the world and incidentally she uh does not use gps she refuses <laughs> to and <laughs> she says um Wes continues to prefer using a paper map over a tracking system, saying that she still trusts her brain above all. Nice. Uh, I'm a doer, hands-on kind of person. If I can see the road and see where it turns and see where I w went, I'm sh uh, I am more sure. That's <laughs> so, great. Yeah, so she's pretty awesome. And, so uh, when when she was developing this formula, was it specifically for GPS, or did it start off for something else? <clears throat> yeah, it it was around uh, naval uh, 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 navigation, and so okay. it, it ended up being used for GPS. It was not initially meant for GPS, okay. uh, and but the application, and it it turns out that that information wasn't released until like the 1980s that she was involved with it at all um uh, and it came out when her fraternity alpha kappa alpha did a uh like a who's who and and of their uh sor sorority not fraternity uh of her sorority and they kind of dug up some information and found out a little bit more. And that came out in the biography that they did of her and uh, revealed that more to a uh, bigger wow. uh, in the late 90s, not not 80s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Wow. Another hidden figure. It, indeed. So to speak. That's really cool. I, I still remember and I think it was in our GPS episode that we talked about how there is a not a not there is a time difference which is how gps works with triangulation but like a literal difference in how the speed of time between things on the ground and things in orbit and that's one of, one of the only things oh, i've yeah, ever yeah. remembered from the mark and todd cast is how <laughs> relativity time is yeah. relative like that and that's just yeah. a weird example that you don't think that like time is relative but on such a huge scale that we can't but like we have to measure it that way which is so yeah. crazy yeah i wonder what okay. when did they figure out or have they always known that the earth was an oblate spheroid that's a good question uh i don't know when that was calculated initially um and, and i wonder if that fluctuates because i mean it 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 bulges because we're spinning correct like if you got like a wet nerf basketball and spun it then it would do that yep. same thing so but I guess our rotation is is fairly it's constant. Yeah, I, I constant. would say that that's, you know, it, it definitely doesn't vary like a tide or, or something okay. like that. Yeah. OK, interesting. Weird. I would have much rather heard you talk about Flat Earth. <laughs> no that's awesome. It's, it, and it's interesting to see. And like I, it was the same thing when we talked about uh, uh, Hedy Lamar. 
I can never remember if it's yep. Hedy Lamar or Hedley, which is the character I believe from Blazing Saddles. Um, but about how her work has now is now still being used for wireless communication like that, but it was developed back in, you know, in the thirties and stuff like that, how all of that stuff continues to be relevant and like math doesn't really go out of fashion. Like, you know what I mean? It's not like, we may have discovered a better way to do it, but we still need that basis to build on, to accomplish things that we, we are able to accomplish today. So very cool. <sighs> that nice was being nice. back in the saddle. I know and... it was very nice. And we have not next week, but the week after I, or I forget now what it is, but anyway, uh, Portland at the movies coming up. And I have to tell you, I don't know if you saw, the thread that I, the Facebook thread, I wanted to try to keep it to myself, but I got so excited about the movie that I was experiencing that I could not stop myself from talking about it to you guys a little bit over, but I was delighted by this movie called Thomas, no, Train Master, which <laughs> uh, is a wonderful made-for-children movie that is both heartwarming and has all of like the bad movie mistakes and tropes and like confusing underwritten characters, but is still like <laughs> heartwarming and fun. And so I cannot wait to talk about it. So join us what, for that. And what's the movie called? It's called Train Master. Okay. And I was confused at first because I did not know there was a sequel to it made because Tra Train Master came out in 2008. Uh, it looks like it came out in 1993, but. Uh, then there was another one in 2013 <laughs> called like Thomas and the train master or something like that. But yeah, it's a train master. So anyway, we will be talking about that eventually, but awesome. Awesome. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join me, Mark. It was nice to be back with you. Indeed. Indeed. Back yes. Yes. Indeed. Anything exciting coming up for you? Just, I guess you're back now. I'm back. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, doing all the things for the holidays and trying to uh yeah survive <laughs> trying not to get covid yeah <laughs> uh excellent well thank you everyone for listening you can hear us on fun employment radio check them out as well uh uh we will play something at the end of this episode so we will talk to you guys later awesome take care Hey, it's Todd from the Mark and Toddcast. You may remember me from such moments as three seconds ago. Anyway, I was finding something to put at the end of this uh, show, and I found this great little clip of Gladys Mae West talking, and I thought you'd enjoy it. Thanks. When I grew up as a little girl, I was in a country area, rural area, and we uh, made our living by having a farm. I told myself that I did not like being out in the sun and working from sunrise to sunset and all that. So I made good grades in all of my subjects. So it's time to go to college. Well, since you're doing well in all subjects, you can major in math, and we know that you'll be successful. So when I went to college, I majored in math. Graduated after four years. I have applied for jobs in the government. I got hired in Darwin in 1956. I came by myself. My husband wasn't with me or anything. I was by myself. I at least put it this way. I didn't know him <laughs> at that time. At the same time that we were coming to work here, they were also bringing in a large computer and they hired these mathematicians to learn to work this computer. We hadn't had any computer teaching or knowledge, so we had to master this job that they wanted us to do. So we had to learn how to program and code for this big computer. My part in the global positioning system would be working more with the orbit over the water. A lot goes into the scientific computation to generate an orbit, which is a database used in GPS. So the different people who did uh, civilian applications learned to use the database that we generated, and that was the foundation that GPS was built on.
when you grew up as a black girl, our school was separated from the white schools. And we had separate buses. And many times you would get the old hand-me-down things from the white school, books that weren't new like their, their books were. But all of that helped to make us, I think, work harder because, you know, you were behind the eight ball to start with, you know, so you had to work harder. But I always was motivated by doing something new and completing something having a goal. Because usually I had a mind of my own. I tend to think for myself, a little impatient with others who don't think the way I do. 